Hello, welcome to the Star Wars Lads podcast. I'm Liam, and I'm here with the other two lads, Jared and Sonic. So today we're going to be starting off our conversation with by talking about episode 15 of The Mandalorian, The Believer. Who wants to start us off? Uh, I guess I'll go. Um, I, I think this was one of my uh, favorite episodes, actually. Um, I'm a Rick Fumiyama fan, um, and I, I guess I first discovered it when I was watching... Uh, this film on Netflix called Dope. Uh, the guy who plays Miles Morales in Spider-Verse. Um, he was the main character in the film. So uh, I guess like just seeing his whole stylistic direction and everything was something that I really like, connected with. And then I found out that he was on season one for two episodes. For episode two and episode six and... Episode six is, I feel like, one of the more, or chapter six is one of the more underrated episodes, The Prisoner. Um, but chapter two was definitely, like, the episode that made me realize, like, right away, like, okay, The Mandalorian is going to turn out into something really solid, something really great. Because um, I wasn't fully sold on Filoni's uh, chapter one. But chapter two, what, how, like, how much character work and how much, like, connection that he fostered between Grogu and uh, Din. Uh, at that point, I was like, okay, yeah, like things were great. So I actually didn't know that this episode was uh, directed by him until the end of the episode. And just like those other two episodes, a lot of great character work. Um, he brought back uh, Mayfeld, and I thought he did an amazing job. Like I, I, I'm one of the few people who has probably seen Bill Burr in something other than a comedic uh role um, when he was in the king of Staten island uh, but man just the way he handled every character um basically was helming the first episode without uh grogu since the majority of chapter one i, I thought he handled it really well location was great i, I really didn't like i liked it and i loved how he ended it with din repeating back the same threats that gideon had made back at chapter seven yeah i guess like talking about those threads though i was i guess that was one part of the episode that just kind of confused me because i was like wait you're kind of like challenging an entire fleet right now <laughs> so i was like is that the smartest thing to be doing <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> i i think it was more like posturing more than anything right like throwing back the words in his face that Gideon had, like, so confidently said. I think, like, when we he heard those words, like, Gideon was just classically evil there, right? He's like, oh, I have big plans, plans to resume the Empire, take what's rightfully mine, and obviously he's got plans for Grogu, but the way... I, it, it was a little on the nose, and again, Star Wars is not very subtle, but uh, seeing how he said back those words then to Gideon, but like the way he said it, you understood like there's actually meaning behind it, right? This is the first episode that we're like, oh, like Din really truly accepts that now he's Grogu's father. Like he's not just like a caretaker. He's not just a babysitter. He's He's got this strong bond that everyone else has noticed. He's finally and fully embraced. So maybe he brings in Bo-Katan. Maybe Boba's got like a bunch of other contacts uh i mean i don't know what's gonna happen but 
it's going to be exciting. That's for sure. Well, uh, full force, Night Owls, Ahsoka Tano. Here we go. Here was the mashup we were hoping for. I mean, do you guys think that Ahsoka will be back? I feel like, yeah, I feel like she was, now that we know about the Ahsoka series, I feel like that was just like, uh, okay, like, the story did lead us up to the Jedi that Grogu needs for training. But again, she's not a Jedi, and it definitely was a setup for everything else that she's dealing with with her own Force journey with Ezra and the whole original Ghost crew and stuff like that. So I wouldn't mind seeing her back, but I think the personal stakes just start to disappear if she comes back right away. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, but I guess going back to this episode, though, um, like I, I really loved the development here. I think this kind of really goes back into the themes that we were talking about in previous episodes of of Din just, um, you know, because this, this episode's called The Believer, and, and I feel like, you know, a lot of this season has been Din questioning his 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 uh, upbringing and, and, and um, kind of challenging the rules of the watch. I guess not not challenging those rules, but what he was raised on. And, um, you know, him taking off his mask or um, his helmet um, in front of this Imperial officer. I just feel like, uh, I mean, I guess just like surrounding the whole, the whole drama behind Pedro Pascal wanting to uh, more FaceTime. Um, you know, aside from that, I think this was like a huge step in, in Din's character. And, you know, there was that whole dialogue between uh, Mayfeld and, and Din in, um, while they were in the, uh, the cargo, I forget what it's called, but that giant truck. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that was all essentially like pointing toward and foreshadowing that moment uh, in the bunker. We... Yeah, we definitely... Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I've, no, I, I think we you got to go ahead, Liam. <laughs> uh, we were definitely they were leading up to that moment. The whole episode, I, I even felt like the title at the beginning kind of gives it away that we were going to get something to do with uh, with the mask or he was going to be challenged um, religiously at some point. And so I was kind of waiting for that moment the whole episode and honestly it really delivered i thought that was easily my favorite part of this episode was that table scene uh um, oh, yeah absolutely yeah very inglorious bastards-esque and it was just uh brilliantly directed super tense the performances were excellent bill burr killed it in that scene too and i was uh, i like him in the show but he is he does seem like <laughs> bill burr like he doesn't seem like a star wars character but that scene, he really killed it. I was really impressed by that. Yeah, I mean, I I think one thing about Bill Burr's humor is he's kind of the ranty sort of joker, like, in anything he does, stand-ups, movies, whatnot. So for him to, like, kind of, like, go in a more, like, emotional tangent, uh, you know, citing uh, Operation Cider uh, and, like, you know, kind of revealing more like the PTSD and like you you see that little glimpse between him and Din. And I mean, Din's already like a fish out of water at this point. He's just 
the whole way it was handled was brilliant. I thought everything about Pedro's physicality was on point and how Valen has comes in and he's so threatening, just the way he's talking, the draw and everything. And then Bill Burr is just like, fine, uh, I'll take that risk. I'll take that chance. And then for him to like, fine, be like, all right, now that I've actually done that, let's, uh, let's get a few things off my chest. And just like the PTSD, just the pain, just like, you know, that it was all building up so well. And then when he, when uh, Din just looks over at Bill Burr and they make eye contact, he shakes his head just so, so softly. And he's like, okay, don't. I, I know what's about to happen. Don't. But And then he just pulls out his gun and he's just like, nah, <laughs> I think I have to have to do this. I thought he would do something like shooting Valen Hess under the table. But he was like, no, nah, I want you to see me shoot you in response to all the pain and devastation that you've done to just good old normal people like me who are just trying to do their job. Yeah. And it was all in the eyes with Bill Burr too. Like that was, that was really impressive to me because he's such a bombastic actor most of the time. And, and that comes with his, his traditional standup role, but, uh, it was all in the eyes in that scene and you could just see him slowly breaking down as they talked about operation Cinder and, and all of that. And, uh, I thought it was really, it was really fantastic. Like I, I was questioning bringing him back and I was glad they did because that scene was phenomenal. Yeah. I thought he'd be back for like, I thought he'd be back for the finale. Like, okay, we need like the Imperial guy who can help get us onto the ship right, with, like, Imperial codes, kind of like in Episode 6, like, when they're on uh, Shuttle Tiderium, right? They're like, oh, yeah, it's an older code, but it works here. Like, I thought it'd be something like that. And, like, yeah, it also helps that he's a pretty good shooter. But I, I, I just didn't expect... I didn't expect the how he was going to be handled this episode, and I think it was done really, really well. Like, it, rest in peace, Mayfeld. It's so sad that he died, you know? Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Didn't did, did you see uh, Mayfeld died, man? Poor guy back on that oh. planet. <laughs> so unfortunate. Yeah, I was, so I was trying to make a joke there. <laughs> I'm yeah. a little tired. President, uh, what is it? Prisoner 3667 died in that mining accident. Oh, such, such a shame. Yeah. I mean, it, it's nice. I think it also, it, I don't know if it sets him up for anything future-wise, but, you know, it at least, like, if this is the end of seeing Bill Burr in Star Wars, it, it was a really nice wrap. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like, you know, I guess given that that ending, you know, it's like he's kind of a wild card at this point because it seemed like throughout the episode he was very, um, uh, he was very uh, hesitant on, like, you know, being in any conflict and, and he, he didn't want to engage in any of this, but you can tell that when the moment came in that standoff, or I guess in that sit down, like there was essentially, um, you know, a lot that he wanted to resolve and you can see, you know, when they were flying away and he shot the, um, that, that load, the, the cargo, like, and, and I'm kind of, you know, I mean, I think that's, that was kind of like a payoff to, all of the PTSD that he had. I mean, not, not, you know, uh, not justified, but it, it kind of really demonstrated how much of a grudge he was holding. 
Um, and yeah, and I am kind of sad that like they didn't show off how how badass of a sharpshooter he was um, until that until that one moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like I have more to say, but I think maybe we should go into the episode rankings. Um, does anyone want to start off? I only have uh, one difference, but um, I think this episode tops episode seven for me. Um, oh. I just really loved like the dialogue in this episode and yeah, I guess how personal it was um, to the to the character's development. And I think it was a very Mayfeld-driven episode, um, but I think there were just a lot of moments, uh, a lot of dim moments that I really enjoyed. And um, yeah. What about you, Liam? Uh, it, I didn't rank it super high, but I did enjoy this one a lot. It's probably the most heavy character episode for in himself uh at least since early episodes of season one where it really defined you know what what uh his ex the extent of his relationship with grogu is and how much he's willing to sacrifice and give up to protect him uh because you know early season one then we would have never seen him take off that helmet uh but i did like it quite a bit i ranked it out of the 15 episodes, right? I ranked it as my number nine, right ahead of The Siege, chapter 12, and The Passenger, chapter 10 from this season. But I, from the other episodes this season, I still have uh, The Heiress, The Tragedy, and The Je uh, the Marshal and The Jedi ahead of it. Um, I could give or take the beginning. I do like the action scenes are all great, but not as solid as a lot of the other action sequences. Um, I would say the first 15, 20 minutes, I never got like super excited about anything in this episode. Um, I felt like it went fairly predictable route, but I enjoyed it that uh, how it got there still. Like the, I was not expecting the, the dinner scene, but I was expecting him to end up having to remove his helmet. Um, also, one other th logical thing that to me just doesn't, <laughs> I don't understand, is so apparently you could, anyone can scan their face on that machine. You don't have to be an Imperial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's like the Star Wars universe's version of like, click this to, to prove that you're not a robot when you go on a website, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess. That, that to me, I was like, uh, okay. That... You know, I got over it pretty quickly, but I was like, this just doesn't seem like... Yeah, it's um, it's definitely one of those things in Star Wars that you're like, okay, I have to find some sort of headcanon for it to make sense, right? Like, right. without them spelling it out for you, you were like, okay, that's, like, very much, like, just a thing that was a plot device that was necessary for Din to take off his helmet, like... He could have yeah. he could have done it before, I guess, but no, we had to save it till the very end. Like, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely there for one reason and one reason alone. Right, and to me, to me, I felt like it contradicted a little bit with the beginning when they were saying why Mayfield has to be the one to go because he's the Imperial and all that. But you know, it ultimately, 
doesn't matter that much. It just was a slight uh, logical flaw, in my opinion. But, you know, I don't want to sound too negative on this episode because I did like it a lot. Uh, but you guys said most of all the positive things, so I thought I would add in my couple of negatives. It, it, it's good to have a little bit of, like, a back and forth, right? Like, yes, sir. If it was just like, oh, we loved everything. I, I don't love everything about The Mandalorian. Like, to anyone listening, even, like, in the best episodes, I'm like, I wish I could be a little different. I could. It's like there's that little nagging voice. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or if it's because, um, you know, I, I've seen other films do the same concepts better. I understand, like, the tropes and everything. But at, at the end of the day, I'm just like, wow, that, that was a really fun 35 minutes at midnight for me. And I know I'm going to rewatch it. I know I'm going to have a fun time breaking it down. And to me, that's why Mandalorian works so well. There's everything in it is acceptable to almost every Star Wars fan. And there's certainly something for everyone to, like, really love and appreciate. Um, I think I think a big thing for me when it came to this episode ranking is, I don't know if it's, I'm, if it's my current mindset or just the things I've been watching or whatnot, but... I, I really like films that are a bit slower, a bit more character-driven, things that are more about, like, the human nature and less about, like, oh, this, this, and this. Like, yeah, obviously I'm a Star Wars fan. I love, I, I know I'm going to my mind's going to be blown next episode with whatever crazy shenanigans happen, but it, it was nice to know that these characters could work without Baby Grogu uh, and you know, still be just as impactful and not only as impactful, but have like these different sides to them that, you know, aren't all necessarily like centered around baby Yoda. Cause like in real life, when a, when a kid shows up, right, your personality, how you react to them, like they become like the center of attention in the room. And obviously baby Yoda is so adorable. So like everyone has that reaction of like, oh, I'm going to like act this way or I'm going to act that way. But without it, like it's a, it's a bit more, it's a bit more real. It's a bit more like, okay, this is who, this is who we are. This is like, you know, the layers that are, have been put away because that's not really the focus. Um, and even though the focus is to get baby Yoda back, to get Grogu back, he is also just not in the picture for this whole episode. And Without him, I thought there was a good chance of the episode failing or falling flat. But for me, it just landed. So in my overall rankings, it's actually my number three episode. I have it above The Marshall. I have it above Sin. Um, I have it below Redemption and The Jedi. Um, And I guess that's also a little bit in line because there's a lot of great character work in The Jedi, but a lot of it is also plot-driven. Redemption, obviously, there's a lot of different storylines with characters um, alongside the action. So I can see it. I can see it dropping and maybe down below the Marshall and the Sinigan. But it, it gave me everything that I wanted from an episode without Baby Grogu. So I, I have to put it up that high. I think that's fair. I, I, I'm surprised it's that high, but, uh, yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from and it really is a, an impressive episode, uh, for character work for Din himself. 
Um, yeah, and, and I think uh, it's also a bit of a reaction to Chapter 14. Chapter 14, to me, was really fun. Obviously, Boba Fett's return to his iconic armor, you know, uh, losing uh, Grogu, uh, just things that are in the plot. That that stuff was great. The only Again, my only issues were Tython didn't look that appealing, and I thought some of the action was a bit stilted. But... One thing that was completely missing, I think, from Chapter 14 was anything to do with, like, Din's reaction. Like, I think for him to really process and accept what happened to Grogu, he hasn't really had the time to do that. So the only time that he does is when he's actually actively in his search for Grogu once more. And seeing that desperation and everything leak out of his character, seeing how others reacted to him, respected his values of, you know keeping his helmet on, you know, what do they actually all believe in, right? What is driving them? I think it was it was a good, it filled in all the gaps for me that I thought chapter 14 could have used. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like the whole, um, the whole monologue that Mayfield had about, um, we were both the same at the end of the day when, uh, when we're, uh, what, do, what do you say when like they're more desperate? Um, that just puts so much weight on like Din's character. Like, you know, it, it, I think it was just like, and it, it made it so that the audience knew that how, or it emphasized how important, uh, yeah, like baby Grogu was to, <laughs> to, to Din. Yeah. I mean, just a lack of like, I thought he reacted more to losing the Razor Crest than he did losing Grogu last episode. Um, oh, true. I, which was a little surprising to me, but it's also because I guess the way I reasoned it to myself is it's Robert Rodriguez and he's, he's a lot more focused on the kinetic action and he definitely had a very short script. He said it was only 19 pages and that he extended it to over 30. So I don't know if I can entirely say it's because of his directing. I think there just wasn't a lot of time for like consideration um that didn't needed uh in chapter 14 so I, I that's that's why i felt like you know once the dust has settled just a little bit and the plan is underway right there's going to be plenty of downtime right they have to take the transport slowly with the rhydonium or else it heats up and explodes um kind of like coaxium um and then just the moments where they're changing into the Imperial armor, right? Before they're going into the station, the officers mess with the, uh, I guess, like the coordinate station or whatever it is. Like there were just, even though this episode was like what, three, four minutes longer, because the action was kind of more serving the character motivations as opposed to the character motivations coming out due to the action. Um, I, I, I don't know. I thought it just, it, it, it's like a very good sister episode of chapter 14 is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I guess another thing we can jump into is probably the most intimidating part of the episode, Valen Hess. Um, what do you guys think about him? I thought he was a great different kind of villain for his one scene, you know, but, uh, it was all 
it was something we haven't really seen in this show and you don't see too much in Star Wars in general, which is a, a moment of pure conversation that leads to uh, chaos. And Star Wars is more about the uh, big bombastic action sequences rather than the internal ones. And I thought, like I said earlier, I mean, this that scene worked so well um, just on every level. All three of them did such a phenomenal job, but really Bill Burr was the standout to me. Mayfield's reaction to everything he said was uh, was so impressive. <laughs> like you could really feel that he was there, that this really stuck with him. Yeah, I mean, not only were his, was it, were his reactions great, I thought, I thought what made Valen has so much more intimidating was the way he his presence kind of like loomed over the room like he i don't know if, i don't know if i'm 100 percent right on this but i read somewhere that the actor is the same actor as the night king from the game of thrones which is why he like kind of seems a little recognizable um but you know star wars has like basic concepts of evil all right about like oh there's heroes on both sides there's these like very um joseph campbellian ideas about good bad war peace religion all those things but i think what was the most intimidating thing about everything like was not only does he have this really slow down drawl deep voice he he says something that like kind of shook me a bit because like the way Mayfeld kind of like starts this whole discussion, he's like, let's toast to Operation Cypher. And I think any other Imperial officer would have been like, yeah, that was, it was a tough day. You know, I, I like, even though Valen Hess was the one in charge of like killing all those Imperial troopers as well, I think most Imperials that we would have seen in Stars would have been like a little bit remorseful, like, or like understanding like a little bit of a Mayfeld side, like, in his eyes, Mayfeld is just like another Imperial who should be on the same side as him, who should have the same worries and all that. But Valen Hess is like, in the end, people just want order, right? Thanks to you, we've gotten all this shipments to do many more Operation Cyphers, right? It, it was like, I, I think the thing that really stood out was that he was bloodthirsty, right? And he was talking about how the New Republic's in disarray, which, again, we don't know too much about that because we haven't seen so much about the new republic in the mando era but it was like someone who was like so desperate about his what defines his life what his order was that in order for him to feel competent to feel powerful he was going to do anything possible to destroy and kill even the people that got him into that position which I, you know, that's something I expect from a Sith, not from some random Imperial officer. Yeah, and I think, like, I want to add uh, quickly before we move on to the news, um, but I totally agree, and, and I feel like the banter between Mayfeld and Bellinus was just my favorite part of this episode for one single reason of that whole dynamic of, yeah, he was definitely power-hungry, and he, you know, he was, like, full force this guy definitely had a separate agenda on top of 
all of the Empire stuff. Um, but, you know, when Mayfeld originally didn't want to go into the room, he was like, that was my, you know, that was, um, I served under that, uh, that guy and he might recognize me. Um, but when, you know, uh, when Mayfeld goes to be like, cheers, um, you know, to, uh, Operation, Operation Cinder, yes. yeah. Cinder, like, yeah, just, and he just did not acknowledge it at all, or just him being a part of it. I just felt like, you know, that, that goes to show that how just like hungry he is for, for the goal and for whatever end game that he had going on until he inevitably was shot in the chest. <laughs> and I think what's also interesting is that this is not someone who's affiliated with the first order or the final order, right? This is just an Imperial who's been left behind. Right. So for even Imperials, like, I don't know if he's got such a direct connection with Gideon, but it seems that even the ones that are left behind who weren't even deemed like, Oh, like the power players for the future war before the future takeover of the galaxy once more, just know that there's Imperials that aren't not, are simply messed up, I guess would be the right way to put it. Like everything that they did in the Galactic Civil War to them was just a stepping stone for probably even greater messed up atrocities, right? Like the Death Star happened. I, I think someone like Valen Hess would be like, not only was that justified, we should do more, which is crazy because for someone who talks about order and I know the Tarkin doctrine is like fear is what allows us to have order, but this isn't just fear. This is just like ruthless murder, right? It's not even the threat of something going wrong. It's like we will cause something messed up to happen in the galaxy, which I don't know. That 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 threw me off because I didn't expect something that dark in The Mandalorian. I thought it would be a bit more pulpier than it actually ended up being. No, definitely. And I, uh, I really enjoyed everything that he brought to, uh, that episode. And all I kept thinking of was, uh, I think he also played Joe chill in Batman begins the guy who kills Bruce Wayne's yeah, parents. Yeah. Um, and that's all I could see when I was looking at that guy <laughs> the whole time. Um, well, I think we should move on to, Oh, wait, wait. I, I told we, I just want to give like a quick shout sure. out. Uh, Boba Fett, guys, I, I forgot to mention him. He's repainted out his whole armor. Oh my god, right? yeah. <laughs> looks like a clone trooper shiny. Like, I know it looks great. He's combined the cloak like I wanted, but uh, <laughs> I'm not used to seeing him with no, like, faded marks or scars or scratches. So <laughs> that was a that was a little strange. Um, and also the seismic charge. That That's just, that's just fan service, but Man, that is one of the top two, three inventions that came out of the sequel era, just from a sound design perspective. Yeah, it's it's uh, probably the most iconic noise from episode two, uh, yeah. and maybe all the prequels. And and then to not like, I think a big fear that I had was like, are they going to make Boba? more important than Din in this episode right now that he's like kind of back in shape I was glad that he was like no I'm gonna play my role which is which was nice and 
I also like to joke about like, oh, I might have a bit of a, let's just say that they might recognize my face. I thought that was brilliant allusion to like, oh, not only is he like the most notorious bounty hunter at one point for Vader, he also looks like every freaking clone trooper. So that was, that was great. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's move on to, do we want to say anything about the season finale? What are you guys expecting? Hopes or whatnot? Uh, I don't know if I have any personal expectations. I'm kind of just wanting to go in without thinking too much about it. I had assumed this past episode would be far more of a putting the team together type of thing. And it wasn't, which I was kind of glad. Yeah, um, likewise. It, yeah, but, it would have it felt like uh, Chapter 7, which isn't a bad thing, but... You know, Star Wars doesn't have to always be repetitive. Yeah. Yeah, and, and usually usually TV just follows a very similar format. So, like, even between seasons, like uh, going back to Game of Thrones, every Game of Thrones season you knew episode 9 of 10 was going to be the crazy one, and then episode 10 was going to be the one with the aftermath. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I just exactly. assumed this would be the build-up to the the finale and it wasn't and we got something completely different and so i don't really know what to expect for this finale but i assume i i think it's a good bet that we'll have bo katan um i don't think ahsoka's coming back i also think it would if she's there you know there you kind of feel like they would win fairly easily compared yeah. to <laughs> if it's you know if it's din taking on uh Moff Gideon, or if it's Bo-Katan taking off Moff on Moff Gideon, they might have a little bit tougher challenge than if it was Bo or uh, I mean uh, Ahsoka going hand to hand in a lightsaber duel against Moff Gideon. I would take Ahsoka probably every time. Oh yeah, I think yeah. I think Ahsoka when she was fighting Elspeth, it was a bit more of like a stylistic like ritual fight. Like okay, I I'm gonna get what I want, but I I, I will entertain you. Right, I don't think she'd be like, I'm gonna entertain Gideon, because who knows? He might just bring out like he might just pull a grievous and pull out like a bunch of like instead of Magna Guard Stark Troopers, right? Like just run away and escape. Right. And we don't know again, I, I don't I'm I'm hoping that the Dark Troopers have Beskar, right? And that's what makes things a lot harder um for our heroes to prevail. Um I'm hoping to see the spear that was carefully brought out in uh the jedi and actually being served in a lightsaber versus beskar spear fight i hope that happens um do you guys think that we'll see i, I mean okay i know i feel like this episode is going to be fairly long like 45 50 minutes um just because there wasn't like a ton of groundwork put into this episode but do you guys think we'll see cliffhanger do you guys think we'll see uh a glimpse at whichever jedi or force user was at tython or was supposed to come to tython yeah i feel like that that's gonna be the cliffhanger um and 100 percent going back to the uh the uh the beskar spear versus uh the dark saber that's 100 percent gonna happen if, if it doesn't i'm leaving I mean, I don't know if you're going to be leaving. You're just going to be sitting there, right? <laughs> I'm not leaving. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know we mentioned, like, 
a Kyle Katarn like Liam wants and maybe a Mara Jade or something, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they're going to actually get Grogu back. I don't know if... I, it, it's nice seeing, especially in this episode, being reminded that the Mandalorian Din is like just a regular dude who's really skilled, but, you know, he, he's scrappy. He relies on his armor a lot. So even a glimpse out of the Jedi, like being entered into the story. I don't know if I'd like that. I feel like that's maybe something that they can hold off till next season. I think maybe kind of the way they use Fennec Shad and Boba Fett, right? We see in chapter five that he's hinted at. He's It's like, oh, is that Boba Fett there? And then the payoff and has been really great in season two. So I'm hoping they don't just like show like a scene with a Jedi, unless it's just more like, oh, go out and find whoever reached out I, I hope it's more not like oh like they know what's happening I, I hope they're also in their own search for Din and Grogu yeah I think I, I do think we're going to get a tease to the Jedi at the end I think it's going to be just a tease I don't think it's going to be a full reveal or anything I think it'll be similar to the Boba Fett tease we got in chapter 5 but I don't. I think it'll be a little bit more obvious, so that we'll be talking about it for a year. Because um, now, uh, uh, according to the reports, uh, season three is not going to start for over a year. Yeah, it'll be Christmas. Uh, yeah, so it'll it'll be a week past the finale. So um, we'll have a long time to wait to see what happens. So I think. They'll give us something to, to talk about and speculate and get excited about for a year. But I I would hope Moff Gideon's not uh on this season. But I, I have this feeling that we're, you know, he's he's probably going to be working for a bigger bed, whether it's you know related to Palpatine or related to the creation of Snoke, as we've already seen. Um I have this feeling that we're going to get revealed to even a bigger villain because they would will have now used uh, Gideon for two seasons. Even though he hasn't been a huge part of either of the two seasons, he is kind of the looming threat, especially for the last, uh, what, 10 episodes. So I think we're going to get him defeated, but learn about somebody who's maybe in charge of him and then also get a tease at the Jedi, but I also don't know. I don't think they're that our heroes are going to think Gideon's dead either because they thought he was dead at the end of season one. So they're going to know they beat him, but that he's still out there. Oh, yeah. I, I would love for him to come back even more twisted and enraged. Like, we've so far seen him as classically evil. He's definitely going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting next episode. So... But I, it, it's unfortunate, you know, we're going to have to wait till next December. Um, at one point, we thought season two would have been delayed. But now we know that season three is going to be coming out in December. But, you know, I think that's a good transition point to why that could be the case. Uh, we just had the Disney investor meeting um, a few days back. And there's a lot of Star Wars content coming out, you know, animated, live action, movies, and I don't think they showed everything. So uh, let's just start off with the uh, animated. If we're, or 
do we want to do animated? Do we want to do live action? What, what, what's everyone's interest right here? Yeah, let's uh, let's start off with the animated stuff. All right. Well, that would leave us with uh, Star Wars: The Bad Batch. Bad um, Batch and Visions. And Visions, yeah, and technically oh, a, a droid story. story. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that we're all most excited about Star Wars: The Bad Batch. One hundred percent. I mean, it was revealed like a while back um, that it was going to be the next Disney Plus uh, animated Star Wars show. Um, I, I mean, that sizzle reel really solidified a lot of things for me. I don't know about you guys, but I like the Bad Batch, um, and I like the episodes, especially when they were unreleased. I really liked them more than the final product, and that's not necessarily because things changed too much. I think it just, uh, I started to realize that they were a lot more comical and not as serious as they could have been, but... Everything about the scissorial just kind of shut down any of those fears for me. Like what? What kind of what kind of fears did you have with uh, for the actual series? Or do you mean like like for the characters in the Bad Batch? Well, I think my biggest fear is like why why focus on the Bad Batch, right? Like they're it's cool that it's being positioned as like what happens immediately after order 66 the only yeah. real content that we've gotten have been from the charles soul uh darth vader comic line where he's becoming vader like first embracing his armor um he's still trying to get padme back there's a bunch of other things that happen but like those are the first few days of the empire um but yeah i think one of the stories that i wanted to explore the most for a long time is we know by episode four right well, not even by episode four, like by like five, ten years after the Clone Wars ends, um, and Order sixty six happens, that hey, clones are out of commission; they're thrown aside, right? Their purpose has been served. But what is that like right after Order sixty six? Right? They're still they're not they're not being replaced by regular human human uh, stormtroopers quite yet. So, seeing the state of affairs of the galaxy, seeing clones um, right after order 66 seeing i guess the bounty hunters uh post uh, episode three I, I mean it's it's a very fresh area and for the bad batch to have been announced as like the main characters who i thought were more comical and sillier than let's say like a clone commando squad was what worried me. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious, uh, what do you guys think uh, Finnick's role in, in this series is going to be? Um, I don't know if she'll have that big of a role, to be honest. I feel like she'll show up for a couple episodes, if, especially if this show is, is more similar to Clone Wars and Rebels. And we go on, you know, specific adventures every two or three episodes um, across a full season. Then I don't know if she'll have a huge role, but I, I think that that learning about what happens to the clones post Order sixty six is the thing I'm most excited about with this show because I do remember the 
original Battlefront 2 uh, campaign where you played as the 501st and there was that that level where you go back to Kamino and you have to fight the other clones who are starting the revolution. Like That type of stuff has always really intrigued me post-Order 66. So I think that's the thing I'm most excited for for this show, for sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, but that revolution that happens on Kamino, doesn't, isn't Boba Fett placed in charge to, of the 501st? Uh, on, to stop them from succeeding, I guess. Like I'm he, pretty he's, sure he's like, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's something that with current canon, I don't know if that's something that necessarily is what that period's Boba would be in for. Um, I think, I think the unreleased Cad Bane arc that where Cad Bane trains Boba on Tatooine. I think. It was said before Order 66, but there's almost no reason for it to actually have to be stuck in that time period. I could totally see it be adapted to um, the Bad Batch. Um, I don't think Fennec is going to be a big character. I think that's just more of like uh, Star Wars flexing its like interconnected interconnectivity. Uh, you know, with Ahsoka being an animated, it's like, oh, now her and Bo-Katan are in Mandalorian as live action. Um, Ming-Na Wen, right? She plays Fennec and she was introduced um, in The Mandalorian. It's now like, okay, she's also a really gifted voice actor. She was Mulan. Uh, so might as well bring her back for like a few cool episodes. And I guess the only place I can see it really tying into the Bad Batch is um, from, from what I can gather from the sizzle reel, I think the Bad Batch are, they disagree eventually with their orders uh, first of all i don't know if they even carry out order 66 themselves i don't know uh if they stay with the imperials and for how long but it seems like they become mercenaries at some point and it seems like they're not on good terms with the rest of the other clone troopers yeah i think you're right um that, that trailer was just super intriguing all around. I think it got me far more excited for the show than I originally was. Because I liked the Bad Batch, but, um, you know, in the grand scheme of the Clone Wars, their episodes are middle of the pack to upper middle of the pack. They're not anything yeah. astounding. So, um, but but the direction they look to be going in is going to be very interesting, at least. Yeah, that's interesting too. That like I think, I I guess like going back. To, I mean, do you guys remember in the trailer? I mean, there there were a ton of things that that they kind of gave a little glimpse at. Um, but I I don't know if you guys caught it, but um, they were like fighting these droids at one point, and they look like dark troopers, um, but white. And there's just a lot. Um, yeah um well we have seen um i don't know if they were called dark troopers in rebels but there is there is one droid that kind of sneaks onto a chopper base in rebels maybe it's kind of like a early version early prototype and that I, I don't know if it was just me but it seemed like they were on the training course that um 
was first appeared in like season three, early season three with Domino Squad. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me too. Yeah. So maybe it's just they're just honing their skills, right? Uh for the sort of missions that they're going on. Um we saw those weird droids that kind of looked like um commando droids, but I don't think they were the same shape. So maybe maybe a big part of like the early Bad Batch episodes will be them uh, hunting down the remnants of the separatists like there we've seen the imperial remnants right we there's for sure going to be first order slash final order remnants um it seems to me that nobody in star wars just finishes a war they just want to keep fighting so I, I could see some separatists definitely keep fighting with their um machines kind of just like the uh t- super tactical droid from rebels uh, that was like, oh no, we've been in this war. We just been happened to be stuck on this planet, but we plan on continuing the war, sort of thing. So maybe that's maybe that's something that they're doing. On that note, do you think we could see any uh, former separatist team ups with the Bad Batch or with any other clones that decide to defect from the Republic after, or from the Empire? I guess at this point. Um, after Order 66? Uh, I don't know. Um, in my mind, it seems that it would be something that's far too early. I, I guess like when we look at Rex in Rebels, uh, when they're attacking all those Separatist droids, it's very traumatic and it's like he's reliving the war, right? His war never ended for him. That was this is the final battle. So I know the Bad Batch are kind of their own Mavericks, but I don't think they're different from other clone troopers in the sense that they would just combine forces for their own purposes or for whatever they choose to do. Because I guess we're all getting the sense that they're not going to stick with the Empire slash Republic, but what they're going to do afterwards. I think the scissor reel just doesn't, it gives a lot of options and possibilities. And I think maybe that's what they explore too. Like what, maybe they're on the run. Maybe they're just decommissioned because they refuse to carry out Imperial orders. Like who knows, honestly. Well, yeah, I think Bad Batch is definitely for me the most exciting new animated thing that Lucasfilm has going. But I don't know if you guys want to wa- talk about the other two. Yeah, I mean, I personally am like super excited about Visions. Um, I, I don't know if you guys had uh, watched all those like fan made um, uh, anime trailers for Star Wars. Like, um, there it was like this whole trend uh, at some point this year and, and last year. Um, do you do you mean the because there is I don't know if it's it's not force it's Star Wars Adventures I think does like a kind of anime style um, where they kind of redo like fights in movie scenes so I know those yeah. got really those got really popular because they also added like anime soundtracks on top of them and those were officially produced by Lucasfilm right yeah yeah that's what I was oh, thinking was what's the difference going to be between Visions and and that. I think there's going to be so much more marketing for one because it's a Disney Plus show and 
the way they're described they're short films so my hope at least is that they like just are allowed to like explore totally different time periods totally different um people and characters that we don't necessarily I don't, I don't i don't want them to necessarily have to stick with um the characters that we know or like the world that we know because 2d animation has so much more capability than 3d animation and i know 3d animation you can do so much but 2d there's a little in my mind has a bit more of a creative flair and i mean it's coming from anime studios that have partnered with lucasfilm so i'm assuming that it's going to be canon stuff but i'm hoping that they do some really weird and interesting things yeah i feel like they have a huge opportunity here to explore different um different avenues of like the star wars universe so yeah i, I guess like that being said i'm like really excited about that but uh i guess by what we've seen i really don't know what to expect yeah and I don't know what the, why they called it visions either. I guess it's just glimpses into different times and parts of the Star Wars universe. That that would be my guess. The Star Wars um, what if? In a way, but you know, having two what if series is probably not what Disney yeah. Plus <laughs> has on its mind. Um, but I, I'm 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 intrigued. But it, if it was any other year, I would be really super down and like excited but it's just there's so much content like that again just to anyone listening like disney investor meetings do not get this hype or have so much stuff going on so any other year yeah i'd be like visions that's like my number two three thing that i'm excited for star wars this year visions for me is probably like my number eight or nine and that's not because i don't love anime or anything i do it's just there's just so much good live action content coming out and that's that's always gonna be a tough bar to overcome yeah speaking of live action what what is your what are, what are you most excited about uh i mean it, obviously obi-wan kenobi um i'm kind of surprised that they went with his full name for the show but um it is an event series and i had to do a little bit of research on what it means to be event versus limited so event series are kind of more like longer, uh, more short film style, um, like over 40 minutes, 50 minute episodes that are like five or six episodes total, like one solid story, right? Um, like it, it's, it is an event, right? It is one thing that happens and then you spend all your time centered around it versus limited is like, it's just like any other live action series, but all the stories and plots that occur are kind of wrapped up in like 10 to 12 episodes. So I, I'm surprised that Kenobi's going to seem seemingly be like five or six episodes. I was hoping it would be a little longer. But then they also mentioned that Hayden's coming back, which we've been all clamoring for. And Hayden and Ewan together, it's been described as a rematch of the century. Um, <laughs> I, I know there's rumors flying around that Tamora Morrison might be playing Cody and uh, chasing down or trying to find uh, Obi-Wan with his clone troopers or something, or not clone troopers, with his stormtrooper um, crew or whatever. Um, I'm most excited to see a depressed Obi-Wan. I'm not, I'm not lying there. I think that trauma, that PTSD, 
all that stuff is so ripe. And for him to also be training it to become a force ghost, right? Just like how Yoda went through his own trials, like I, I'm assuming that Obi Wan will too. And I, Tatooine is not a nice place to live at for most people, and he's living out in the middle of the desert. So I do not expect, I do not expect Obi Wan to have a good time, and that makes me excited, which is horrible to say, but <laughs> that is that is the case. Yeah, for me. Obi-Wan is my favorite Star Wars character, so that's easily my most anticipated thing that Disney's making right now and their whole company. Um, but something I found really interesting about the Obi-Wan information was that they said it's going to take place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, which I always got the impression that this was going to be more of a two or three, maybe five years after Revenge of the Sith type show where we did get to see him struggle with more of the aftermath of that movie. I feel like 10 years after, you know, he, that's a long time to be dealing with the same stuff that he has been for the last 10 years. Like what has he been doing between the end of Revenge of the Sith and this 10 years? And maybe we'll talk about it in the show, but um, I feel like, I hope this show doesn't just end up being somebody from the rebellion says, Oh, we need your help to stop Vader. <laughs> we think we can take him out. And you know, we, we want you to come with us because that's what I'm a little worried about now. Cause we did get the hated announcement, which is great. I'm very excited about that. And I'm hoping he is in flashbacks or, or force visions also on top of playing Darth Vader. But I'm hoping it's not just about a fight between Obi-Wan and Vader. Like, I really want to see that, that, uh, what Anakin's turn did to Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan training to become a ghost. And I was surprised we didn't get a Liam Neeson announcement. Um, I mean, I think that would be the cherry on the top and uh, too many people would cream their pants at that point. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's already crazy that after so much hate and vitriol directed towards Hayden for his portrayal of Anakin, that he's been, he's at a place now where he feels comfortable coming back to star Wars and the fans also love him. Right. So it, it's a great time to be a star Wars fan, but it's, I think it's honestly the right time for him to come back. I mean, he won't have the baggage of being connected to rise of Skywalker that we thought he would be more president or something. Right, this is going to be a more personal, a lot more intimate event series than anything a movie appearance could have been. Um, when I think on the ten-year point, I think in my mind, it, I wasn't too surprised. I think, I think Obi Wan, for the first few years, you know, he's from what we've seen in comics, he's extremely dedicated to Luke. But eventually, Owen kind of pushes him away, says, like, I don't want him to follow the same path as his father, end up killed, and all that crazy stuff that happens. Um, and obviously, they're not on good terms, because at some point, he's no longer referred as Obi-Wan. He's just crazy old Ben Kenobi. So I'm thinking not only is it because there's a separation from Luke, but those first 10 years, right, when, like, something terrible happens to you, there's going to be a grieving period, but grieving alone and having to deal with the consequences of war, losing Satine, 
uh, Maul coming back, losing his whole Jedi Order, his own apprentice turning. Like, I think it's fair to say, at least for the majority of those 10 years, even if Obi-Wan is like, yeah, I'm going to train to become a Force ghost, mentally, I don't think he's in the right place for that. Yeah, I think, like, I kind of want to agree with that the first point that you made of, of a disheveled Obi-Wan kind of like, and I think, yeah, I mean, I mean PTSD, PTSD is a, a huge thing and it's like super hard to, um, to overcome. And, and I feel like, especially what happened to Obi-Wan, uh, like kind of everything that every structure that he'd previously had, it's kind of been tumbled except for, um, except for his connection to the forest. And I feel like that, you know, that, that separation from um, Revenge of the Sith and um, Revenge of the Sith Obi-Wan to, to A New Hope Obi-Wan would, uh, is, is like a, a huge difference. And I feel like there's so much uh, development to be, be had uh, for his character. So I'm just really excited to see, yeah, kind of your point to see him suffer in that sense. I guess in, in the in the sense of understanding how he how he comes to um, the bend that we know in the New Hope. Yeah, I mean, and I know there's a lot of Ewan's performance in Episode Three that does mirror the old Ben Kenobi, but like, I mean. Let's look at the guy in episode three. He's got a perfect beard and perfect hair. When we see him in episode four, man, that hair is just wispy. <laughs> His skin is so ruined, right? Um, he's just the random crazy dude out in uh, the Dune Sea, right? Like, Tuscan Raiders are afraid of him now. So, I mean, there's there's so much that has to happen in 19 years. And obviously disheveled Obi-Wan is going to be a phase. I think 10 years makes sense because at that point, uh, maybe Obi-Wan is in a slightly better place to start his training. I don't know. I We've seen Obi-Wan as this wise, perfect Jedi for a long time, even though if you lo really look at it, in episode one, he's always arguing with uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. He's emotional there. And then from there, he just ha he tries to imitate Qui-Gon and how he raises Anakin, which doesn't work because he's not Qui-Gon. Um, so he, he's always been like a flawed character. It's more in the Clone Wars that we see him, you know, as the negotiator, as like Captain Cool, right? So I think that maybe, I don't, I want, I don't want to call it a facade, but that whole persona is stripped away from him. And for him to try to be like Obi-Wan of the past, is in, the, in, in in of itself dangerous. He cannot show his force powers, at least not in a very clear way, right? He cannot help people like he would want to because that draws attention to him. So every part of the Obi-Wan of Episode 3 is has to be rejected, right? And I think when, you, when you're forced to reject so many things about yourself all at once, it's going to take a long time before you can be like, oh, I'm ready to train and be a force ghost he probably thinks he deserves it in some way right he thinks he failed anakin when it's not really all on him i think those are all good points and i'm just worried that we're gonna 
skip that period too much in favor of Anakin or Vader versus Obi Wan Part Two. Or uh, so, hopefully they. I mean, they seem to know what they're doing. I I trust them. I just think ten years seems a little long. Um, yeah, I know. I I can see that. And I mean, even though they call it a rematch, I don't think they're gonna actually physically fight. I think it's gonna be more like force visions or strains force connections with Anakin. Um, I I kind of disagree. I think they're gonna fight. I don't think she would have said that. Really. Without without them actually having a duel, because I feel like now people are expecting that, and if they that doesn't happen, there's gonna be a lot of people upset. And I think I, Kathleen Kennedy is pretty particular with the words she uses especially when trying to appease the star wars fans who have not particularly been particularly been happy with her in the last two or three years hey and i mean that's fair but i i would counter that with saying there's gonna be a plenty of fans who are like no they don't meet until episode four on the death star so maybe yeah, maybe uh, it's, I, it, I, maybe it's a workaround that they do maybe it's going to be more like luke's vision in in the dagobah cave right but like could be it's pumped up on steroids and like maybe they're both feeling it in that moment who knows right like, yeah i prefer not to see them fight but yeah. i think they are going to yeah i mean in the end i don't know if we're gonna to have too many complaints because it's just gonna be awesome to see that <laughs> no matter what how they take it it's just gonna be awesome to see them both back on screen um but yeah, I guess uh, I don't know what 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 what's the difference. I think we talked a lot about Obi Wan, but what are the other shows that are interesting to you guys? I'm fascinated with um, Andor and uh, and and the Acolyte. Um, I guess these are just like, I mean, um, Cassian's story was just very intriguing to me. What first watching Rogue One, and I feel like you know the. It was just so ominous of how vague he was about his backs, his past. I mean, you know, I guess it was a, a general tone, but um, I'm I'm excited to see uh, what that entails. And then with the acolyte, I I know nothing about the High Republic, so I'm just really excited to see that um, on screen. Yeah, for me, it's uh, Ahsoka and the acolyte are probably my other two. Um, Andor, I was super excited about Andor, but uh, with all of these announcements, <laughs> um, that one probably bumped down to my my four or five. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for that show because because Cassian and K two were easily my favorite characters from Rogue One. Yeah, um, Cassian, the first scene you have him in where he kills the informant, that was just nothing like we had seen from a a rebel, a good guy, you know, supposedly. And I, so I really dug that vibe, and I hope we get to see a lot more of that from him. A lot of those dirty missions, the the dark side of war, and the hard things that the rebellion had to do just to survive. Um, but then the acolyte, yeah, I mean, we can. That's another one that I'm excited for, mainly because we can start to speculate on it until it comes out. Um, None of us really know that much about the High Republic right now because the, the books and everything got delayed. Um, but yeah, from what I've heard, it ends about 200 years before episode one, which would leave a good amount of time if they wanted to do 
some type of Plagueis origin story or push Bane all the way back or do something completely new. But um, yeah, anything to do with the dark side is always super intriguing to me. Yeah, I think for myself, Ander was not one of my more anticipated series. Um, I mean, I like spy thrillers. Um, I was more than fine with kind of how Cassian as a character ended up. I think what intrigued me more was his relationship with K2SO and how they meet is already kind of explained away in a comic. But then again, we also saw Cobb Vanth kind of reintroduced after the aftermath interludes in The Mandalorian. So I would not be surprised if K2SO makes a reappearance in some way. Um, I will say, though, that the sizzle reel definitely excited me. Um, just seeing all the different sets and artwork, like it's very clear that it's going to be very high quality, uh, as always, but it's also going to be a lot seedier than even anything we saw in Rogue One, right? I think Rogue One kind of had this mood going for it, that everything was dark and, like, messy. But I would like to see how Cassian gets to that point where, you know, he's willingly shooting informants. I, I know he's been fighting the Separatists, fighting on the Separatist side when he was a kid, and then he joins the rebellious side. Like, he's been in a war his whole life. That's kind of his whole shtick. So... I, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see him kind of go from more of like that idealist rebel, if he ever was one, to that hardened, willing to take any orders, willing to kill people. Um, and I liked a lot of the set design that they showed. Um, it seems to me that there's a little bit of a hint that it could be more than just a season. Um, they said 12 episodes, which I think is a pretty interesting because we've only gotten eight so far from um the mandalorian for each season but when they announced it they didn't say anything about it being limited if i'm correct i don't know if you guys heard anything different um yeah i haven't uh, heard that it's limited but yeah. i actually i'm almost 100 percent sure that they've confirmed k2 is in the show because alan tudyk was at d23 last year um when they talked about it with oh no no with, absolutely uh, absolutely but uh how much he's going to be in it is the issue here because i think he only meets k2so like a few months before rogue one and i don't think this story is just going to be wrapped up or like centered around like the year before rogue one i think it's going to span a couple of years if it's going to be more than just one season but at the same time they're also 12 episodes so i i i don't know if it's maybe it's uh one long season and then like a finale TV movie or something. I, I don't know. Um, Andor is the one that giving more information to it without revealing all the plot actually makes it more confusing and mysterious to me. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I thought I had a grasp on what was going on, but then when I saw all the visuals, I'm like, I, I don't, I genuinely do not know what's going on with that show, which is what makes it exciting. Yeah, I think to me it, it's exciting just because of the character. I do, I do hope they go for the darker uh, war type tone that they went with in Rogue One. Um, I would just like to see that side of Star Wars again because we don't 
really have any other properties that go that direction. Yeah. Um, the only other darker type stuff we get are Sith related things. Um, so this is more real, real world uh, type of uh, sacrifice and and the struggles you have to make when you're fighting for something that you believe in. And so I, I'm excited for that part. I definitely feel that is going to be the tone. I guess, like, the basis off of the, I mean, just, like, the tone of, of uh, like, the type graphic design uh, for the title. It just seems very, uh, very grudgy and, and like, kind of dirty, um, which I feel like, I feel like uh, would fit the tone. Yeah. Which would be um, super awesome to see. I mean... I, again, I think for me, Cassian, especially in the first half of Rogue One, besides his informant scene, isn't great. Which is which was disappointing to me because I thought Diego Luna was such a great choice, and everything in the second half of the movie made me be like, okay, Cassian's an awesome character. Um, but knowing that this show is probably going to have to lean more into the character before his turn before like realizing like you know it's good to fight for hope it's good to have rebellions built on hope um i don't know i feel like they've got a lot of heavy lifting to do with cassian um that was like hinted at in that informant shooting scene but isn't necessarily present um as much as we feel like it is i think the tone is very present it's grimy it's messed up um but it's not like, uh, besides the informant scene, it's not like he's the one carrying out every single order. He's being told these orders, like, okay, you're going to shoot Galen Erso and kill him, right? And he has some hesitancy. Um, but I think that hesitancy comes from more and more from being connected with Jin. So I'm curious to see what he's like before the hesitancy. I'm curious to see why he becomes so willing to kill to willing to cross lines um the accolade like you guys said very interesting to me because high republic it's always there was hints that there's going to be shows coming out for it not just one and for it to be following presumably a sith accolade that's cool and star wars explained and a couple other youtube channels have been really enjoying so far the books that have been like given to them um, from the high republic line so I'm I'm excited, but those books definitely seem to be starting more in like the middle area or like in 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 the midst of the High Republic, whereas the way Acolyte's been described, it's like the end of the High Republic. So it raises questions to me of like, okay, what's this time period like? Is it like it ends at 200 years before the Phantom Menace, or does it start at 200 years and ends like 150 years before? Like I don't know. I think just in general the high republic's going to be super cool but we also don't know anything about it which is what makes me very curious to know that they've already defined that the accolade's going to be like maybe like one of the final pieces of the puzzle for that era um i, I know we've been talking a lot about those two shows but for more general mandalorian fans i think we should also make a big mention towards the ahsoka limited show and rangers of the new republic they're supposed to be ahsoka's a limited show rangers has not been confirmed as a limited show or not um 
but they're supposed to tie in with the Mandalorian into like a big climactic event. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, Ahsoka is probably my number two most anticipated thing out of all of the stuff they announced after Obi-Wan. Um, I can't wait to see uh, Thrawn live action. Um, yeah, Rosario Dawson was fantastic. Uh, the Jedi is the best episode of The Mandalorian, in my opinion. So I think it's going to be a phenomenal show. Um, Range of the New Republic is interesting to me because it's something that off the bat doesn't excite me that much. Um, especially if it's spinning off characters from the Mandalorian, like, uh, Cara Dune's a, a decent side character, but I don't think she'd be, you know, I, I don't think there's enough to her to make it her a main character, um, in her own show, even the, the, the pilots, I don't think they can carry their own show. So I, I'm interested to see what direction that goes. Are they going to be introducing new characters as leads? And then these other characters are also going to fill in around them. Uh, would somebody like Wedge be important for that type of show? Um, there's interesting thoughts I could come up with around it, but overall it might be the thing I'm least excited for of all the live action shows. Yeah, I feel like I, I guess, like, yeah, I kind of had the, the same initial reaction of, of it's the least intriguing to me, but at the same time, um, I'm just so curious, because uh, is, is it going to be like this, this like Avengers type of event for um, this span of the universe? And um, yeah, I guess, I guess uh, I'm really curious to like, what who, who like the antagonists will be and 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 why um why this event even exists in the first place but i think it's just because we don't have enough information from uh all the other shows um i guess it just seems like a side thing um but i'm sure it'll be more informed once we uh once we get ahsoka and then maybe um the boba show too if we do yeah, um, I want to get into that in one second, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really am excited for Ahsoka, but I I don't know if Thrawn is going to be in it. It feels like the fact that it's a limited series and the logo seems to be referencing the world between worlds. I'm expecting it to be more of like a force-driven uh, personal journey. Um, and... Yeah, obviously there might be characters that cross over from the Mandalorian and Rangers, but to me it seems like it's it's dedicated for her, which, I mean, we should take a moment to pause there. This is the first time that Ahsoka gets a headliner on show after being such an important animated character for her to evolve to this point. I mean, that's, all, that's amazing in itself, which is what makes me excited, right? There's so much potential for her now. Rosario killed it. Um... So yeah, I'm, I I don't know if it's my number two, but it's definitely in my top three uh, for live action. Um, I might put Acolyte ahead of it just because I'm intrigued with the High Republic era as a whole. Um, Rangers, I, I don't know. I've heard some conflicting reports. Like it could be Cara Dune as one of the leads. I'm hearing that it might not be. Um, I, I'm 
totally interested in seeing what the new republic is like uh we know from the books like they demilitarize pretty quickly um that you know they're they eventually start fighting each other um things like, like like well not fighting each other but there's like a lot of infighting politically and stuff like that so you know i i mean i think the fact that it's the latter half of the title excites me like I feel like we're gonna learn a lot more about the New Republic. I don't think I care too much about the Rangers unless we see. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Um, who was the guy who gave the pin to the Marshall pin to? Uh, he's Trapper Wolf, I think. Right? No, no. Trapper Wolf is um, D- uh, Dave Filoni's character. Um, who who's a uh, Who's the one who gives the metal pin, uh, the Marshall pin to Cara Dune? Uh, uh, Captain Carson Tava. Carson Tava, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if he's gonna be one of the Rangers. I'd love for him to be back. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Rangers implies. I guess that's my biggest thing. Like, is it, is it a mixture of land, right? Like Marshalls, like Cara Dune. Is it, like, uh, does it include the uh new republic navy right with like wedge or any oh, yeah. other starfighter pilots like I, I like are they the ones that are kind of like they blend they blend both their work and their uh in space and on land who knows um i'm excited that they're, they're all gonna tie in together because even if i don't love the show i think the fact that all three are going to tie together implies that there's going to be a huge final battle, maybe the retaking of Mandalore, maybe Thrawn, who knows. My gut feeling says it's not Thrawn because I feel like the Rebels animated sequel is still a thing. That's just me. But if it's not, it'll be awesome to see it in live action either way. Um, we haven't mentioned Lando and a droid story. Um, I guess a droid story is like a ILM slash animated thing. So I'm not excited for it, but it will be cool to see what ILM technology will be. Lando is an event series, and I don't know if that means that it's going to continue the solo Star Wars story story, or who knows? I mean, is it going to be like old Billy D saying his old uh, Calrissian chronicles, and then we see Donald Glover as Lando? Like, I I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but. more Lando content is always good. Yeah. I think uh, with Lando, I think it's their attempt to see if they can bring back characters from Solo and people are interested. Um, Because I I do think it's going to be Donald Glover. I think it's going to be... I don't think Han will be in it. Maybe for one episode, but I don't think he's going to be in it. Um, Or many of the things from Solo are going to know pop up i think it's gonna take place pretty much all before solo um but i think it is kind of their test to see if if people are actually interested in that because didn't they if i'm not mistaken they did announce a lando movie back when they were still uh going to do the spin-offs the star wars story spin-offs um with donald glover at one point so i think this is would make sense as the replacement to that. Um, he was great as Lando. We'll get to see more of his adventures. I'm not sure if I'm too excited about the possibility of L3 being back. 
if it is a prequel to Solo. Um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think there was a Lando film announced, but yeah, I I wouldn't be excited with L three back. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I is, think... is it? Ju- I don't think it's a prequel though. I think it's gonna be maybe more of an anthology of like a bunch of different story. I don't know if it'll be like the Cal Racing Chronicles. I just don't know if it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be set after solo. That That's my gut feeling. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I get the feeling that it will be before solo with the Falcon and with all that stuff, like how he got the Falcon. You can see all that type of story. And then if people are still interested, then they can springboard into the Han uh, event series and, and close the- off the the Kira stuff. The Kira stuff, honestly, is probably the most interesting part about this whole Easily. thing, right? Yeah. I think Lando, yeah, it's cool to see him. But we also know, I don't know if it's going to be a prequel because we also see, I don't know, we've seen him, it feels like he becomes more interesting of a character after meeting Han um, and the way Empire talks about it, like they were old friends, but they kind of drifted apart. Um, I'd like to see more crossover. I like, I really like Alden as Han. Um, but in the end, I think Kira and Maul and Crimson Dawn, that's the story I want, I want to see more. Um, and if it means that, if it means that maybe there's like competition between Crimson Dawn and the Huts, and that puts Lando versus uh, Han, I think that'd be a pretty interesting angle. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those series that, like the accolades, I have no idea what's going to happen with it. Uh, I'm hoping it's not a prequel, but you never know. And I trust it is the creator. I think it's the director or writer from Dear White People who's doing it. So that should the be director. interesting. A yeah. director, right? So I, yeah, it should be cool. It should be fun. Um, a droid story. Yeah, whatever. I'm I'm excited to see the animation more than the story but as many things as they mentioned right um we haven't even talked about the movies guys like let's let's they're so far away that there's not really a lot of details but there's two movies announced there's gonna be a rogue squadron movie that's set in a future era that's interesting that's different um and then there's a taika watiti movie uh Rogue Squadron Future, though. We've known Rogue Squadron in the old EU as, you know, uh, post uh, episode six, right? Wedge bringing back all the crew into these cool space missions and battles. But future content, to me, I don't know about you guys, it implies after the uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Oh? Yeah, that's the thing that makes me a little nervous about it. Um... I really don't have much interest in seeing anything post Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I feel like especially the name Rogue Squadron is so heavily um, a part of Wedge and Luke's story, but more specifically Wedge who takes over from Luke. Uh, that I don't know if I want to see Rogue Squadron with a bunch of people who we've never heard of who are like, yeah, let's, let's uh, relive the old days where 
why Grandpa Wedge was uh, the <laughs> the leader of Rogue Squadron, and I'm gonna take up his mantle and start it again. Like I don't, I'm not that interested in that. But if they went back and did recast Wedge and did a uh, story similar to the old novels in between six and seven, I'd be far more interested in that. Hmm. Ah. Uh, yeah, I can see that angle. I think. From the canon, from like Alphabet Squadron and everything, it seems to me that Rogue Squadron isn't really a thing. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's just me, but Rogue Squadron kind of seems like it's been replaced and like pulled apart for like Alphabet Squadron, Vanguard Squadron, Raid Squadron, which is the one that Wedge is, I think, the leader of. Like, and they're a bunch of like crazy people put together. Um, he does mention in squadrons that he has like a secret mission, so maybe that's maybe that's some rogue squadron related. I, who knows? I just think when I hear future con future era, I just I just don't see it fitting into the new republic. I feel like that would have been something like you said before about like the uh, rematch of the century. Like I don't think Kathleen Kennedy would have uh, used future content our future era as a way to describe the new republic. And it very well could be um, dangerous, but possible. Because to me, that seems more like a future era than like if it's a year after Rise of Skywalker. That doesn't seem like it's much in the future. That's like <laughs> epilogue to to Rise of Skywalker, and I think I think a Rogue Squadron type of thing would work better um, in the year after Rise of Skywalker if we are going to that time period, and you know everything's in in flux. Uh, there's no New Republic. There's no First Order. Nothing really exists. <laughs> um, so I think there'd be a lot of chaos to where we could have a new Rogue Squadron fighting people at that time. Um, and we could bring back Wedge. He was in one shot of <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. He's in Resistance Reborn too, right? He is. Uh, he does have a fairly significant role in that book. Yeah. But I don't know. see him coming back, but uh, it would be cool. I mean... I uh, this whatever the era it is, whatever we get from it, I think I'm really excited that it's Patty Jenkins. Um, she's back with Disney after Thor, Thor the Dark World just made her quit. Um, and we've seen her handle Wonder Woman really well. Wonder Woman 84 is coming soon. Um, her her whole personal sizzle reel for it uh, was just talking about her how her dad was a fighter pilot. She wants to make the greatest fighter pilot movie. So regardless of the story, I think we're going to see, at minimum, Battle of Scarif level quality for dogfights, which I don't know about you guys, but I love the Star Wars fights. Um, Rise of Skywalker's space fight was very boring. Force Awakens' uh, run on Starkiller Base was very derivative for me, but... Scarif was amazing. Um, I still get chills watching the Death Star run. Uh, I think Death Star 2 is pretty solid too. 
Um, so just to see crazy space battles is some with Patty Jenkins is something I'm really excited for. Yeah, I think uh, right now it's going to be an interesting uh, project to see how it develops and what more information we get out of it. In the three next, years, man. Yeah, because yeah. we're we, a long ways from. Yeah, I mean the Ryan Johnson trilogy was announced what like three years ago now. Um, yeah, Taika was announced before. Yeah, like things so far in advance make me nervous when it comes to Star Wars. What these yeah, live Game of Thrones. Shows, yeah. Just uh Game of Thrones guys, that didn't happen. I mean I, that's the one thing I'm really happy didn't happen personally. Uh <laughs> just I just didn't trust them. Uh the more I read about how they handle Game of Thrones. Um yeah, there is a yeah. That's probably for the best to be honest. Yeah. The t- I, there were rumors that it was supposed to connect with the Ryan Johnson trilogy, but I mean, I, anyone else could do that. Honestly, yeah, I'm fine with <laughs> I'm fine with that. Um, do you really think Ryan Johnson's still happening? I don't think so. I don't think it is. I'd love for it to happen because I think he did a lot of crazy, cool things with Episode Eight. But a lot of that stuff works better in a standalone series than it does in the Skywalker Saga. I think that yeah, that I'd perspective fans have yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see him do a trilogy. I'd love to see him do his own characters and do his own version of Star Wars. Uh, but yeah, I think most people's problem with him was how he treated the older characters, um, which I don't have a huge problem with, but uh, a lot of people hated it. So I think give him his own his own uh, free reign to do whatever he wants and make his own characters, and it would be phenomenal. He's a great director. No, for sure. Um, I guess as a for the final film, the Taika Waititi, not much there. There's an interesting image of like this diamond-like space object that reminded me of Mortis. Um, I think it's the one that's slated for 2025, but didn't say anything. The logo has like a very schoolhouse rock feel. I don't know if it's just something they threw on there or something. Um, doing a little bit more research, the diamond thing reminded me of the Toyur, which is from the very beginning days of the Jedi, and there there are these like flying space objects that landed amongst these uh, Bendu order of people who eventually boarded it and learned and about the Force powers and went to a planet together. It's it's like the very beginnings of the Jedi order and like the Force in the galaxy. There's some stuff with the uh, the Ratatak Empire, the Infinite Empire. Um, some very strange things. I, I could get more into it, but that's just a theory that I could see him hitting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really see. Um, I was talking to Lima about this. I just don't see uh, Taika Waititi being entrusted with the very beginnings of the Jedi. Maybe some very early Star Wars stuff. Yeah, but maybe not the Jedi themselves. Um, Yeah, as I don't see as, him yeah. being the the right guy necessarily with his with his style and his sense of humor um, to to be the guy who tells the origin of a religion, um, <laughs> but you know I think he I it's kind of the same thing with the Ryan Johnson stuff. I would love to see Taika make his own characters, 
um, in an in, in the High Republic era or some you know some time period that we're not super familiar with, but it's not super consequential, especially if this is a one-off, uh, or or even in the uh, between Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, any any type of era we haven't explored too much, and make his own characters and tell a a fun story um, rather than one that's super important. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's wrap up this section about all the announcement with stuff that weren't announced. Um, I think we mentioned in previous episodes that there is a Boba Fett miniseries that Deadline and a bunch of other reputable sources announced was coming. Um, maybe that comes out after this final episode of the season for the Mando. Um, Star Wars Rebel sequel is it animated? Is it been put into Rangers, Ahsoka, Mando? My gut feeling says that it's still a thing. We're just not going to be seeing it quite yet. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I tend to think it is also still a thing because, oh, they've got Dave Filoni busy on three shows right now. Um, Really, Bad Batch is the only true show they announced uh, for animated because Droid Story is a movie. I'm pretty sure. And then Visions is short films, so they, they don't really have an animated show coming outside of Bad Batch. So I would I would think that it would still be in the works. Yeah, I, I feel like it'd be a while until we see it, though. Um, like you said, Liam, that Filoni's so busy with so many things. I feel like it, it'll come, it'll come in a, um, a lot later than a lot of these projects. And I also wouldn't count it out for being a limited series or an event series like they're talking oh, true, about with yeah. these other shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it might not end up being four seasons like we'd hoped, but also I don't know if that story really needs four seasons. It could be in a traditional animated length, like 20 episodes and one yeah. done season, yeah, or it could true. be two seasons of 12 episodes. You can cut out a lot of the early Rebel stuff. That stuff is pretty childish, and you come yeah. down with, like, at tops three seasons. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. And I, Every season of Rebels has those episodes where yeah. Chopper and his friends go on an adventure that you ultimately don't need at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still think the Boba Fett series happens because there's no way that they bring Tomorrow Morrison and hint him at being Cody and Rex and all these things. And the fact that he's got repainted armor, right, for, like, what, two episodes? I'm hoping not. I'm hoping that we get to see him, like, actually live in the body of Boba Fett, right? Maybe see some stuff with the Sarlacc or whatnot. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I'm thinking there's a chance it does. I think that's what holds us off from being sad about Mandalorian being coming out in December. Maybe it's, like, a event series that happens, like, in October in place of that. So we'll see. Yeah, I actually really want to see tomorrow as uh, as Cody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll be depressing with how absolutely because <laughs> he's probably going to stick with M- Empire, right? Not be friends with Rex, not be fr- so that could be something in Bad Batch, right? And then hunting down Obi Wan. That's also going to be sad. Um, oh, do you think Cody would have a have a cameo in Bad Batch? Oh, I think so. I think um, we saw those troopers with the green eyes, which is like a throwback right. to Battlefront 2. Yeah, um, the OG, OG one. And I think people are saying that it could be Crosshair, it could be Cody. Kessel Run Transmission says that the menacing one with the antenna is Cody. Who knows? 
it's not really anything that I can definitely say it is. Um, but yeah, we'll see. There's there's so much, guys. Like, let's be fair. Like, yeah. <laughs> as much as we want every nitty gritty detail, it's gonna come and it's gonna be thrown in our face, and it's gonna be so much. I'm here for all of it. Oh yeah. We'll get a lot of bad batch stuff in the next couple months for yeah. sure. And we're probably gonna get t- trailers too pretty soon. So, yeah. Um, I guess we can finish off this episode with talking about our individual Star Wars journeys. I don't think we have time for random films and shows. So, has anyone anyone done a lot of stuff with Star Wars this week? Not too much. Uh, schedules have kept me from continuing my Star Wars marathon, but I did get a little bit further through Tarkin. Really enjoyed it, and I have. I think one issue left in the Charles Soule Darth Vader run. So f- excited to finally finish that. Uh, it's so good. It really is. It's, I think it's the best canon Star Wars comic. And, and uh, that's saying something because the Karen uh, Gillen is uh, Star Wars or Vader run was also excellent. And so was the first 20 issues or so of the Jason Aaron Star Wars run. Yeah. So, and I mean, also the new, the ter- uh, I don't know, is it, I don't know who's doing the new Vader run, but that's also getting uh, great reviews. Greg Pack. Greg Pack, yeah. So, uh, what about you, uh, Jared? Anything new from your end? Yeah, not much uh, with me except for just a uh, contemplate of what these new announcement series could be um, about and how they could be played out. Um, so I guess my imagination, my imagination has kind of been running wild. I mean, I think we all are, but more than usual. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, for me, I, it was a pretty productive week of Star Wars, honestly. Um, I read all of the Jedi Fallen Order Dark Temple series. Um, it was okay in the end. Like, it was like, oh, cool. Um, ties in a little bit to the very beginning of Fallen Order, which I liked. Um, a lot of good stuff with Sarah and her master. Uh but, you know, not, nothing too noteworthy. Um, I read some of the Age of Republic uh, issues with Darth Maul and uh, Qui-Gon. Great stuff with Qui-Gon characterization. The Darth Maul characterization continues off of the Darth Maul series, which I also read. Um, I like that the fact that Maul, like, gets caught up in this big, like, arena fight thing um, where he's, like, tasked with hunting down this Jedi that's being captured by this big game hunter, essentially. And I like that after, well, this is a spoiler, but after he kills her in the end, he's not satisfied. And Sidious reveals that this is all set up for, to make him crave killing the Jedi Order even more than he's already had. So I really like that manipulation that was really shown throughout by Sidious. And like, I also like seeing Maul just kind of suffer through his own desires and knowing that not only are his own desires held back by Sidious, but they're also carefully limited for him at this point, which was pretty interesting to see. And then, because I ran through all those comics, I finally reached Queen's Peril, which is a book about just when Padme gets coronated and she you know, starts her partnership with the Handmaidens. Um, it also kind of gives you like a little tiny uh, interludes with like Obi-Wan and other things. Like it hints at Obi- Obi- Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have this conversation where he's like, um, they kind of hint at uh, his relationship with Satine becoming romantic. So that was nice to get more confirmation. 
um, it was a good and it was a good connection to the master and apprentice uh, book where they're always arguing but like they both appreciate that I really like everything that I've seen so far with Padme and Panaka and all the handmaidens for for once I think the handmaiden stories was always intriguing Nabu was always super intriguing to me and I'm finally getting everything that was hinted at in Nabu, like their culture, why Padme's queen, how her handmaidens work, all those things are super cool to me. Um, and it's also just nice seeing like a female Star Wars story. I think even like Rogue One and stuff, like it gets mixed in and seeing like a very strong female perspective, young girls like really showing off their intelligence, pre-war and all that. I, I don't know, I like it so far a lot more than I expected. And I heard that Queen's Shadow is even better. And yeah, I'm excited. So right after this, I'm probably going to keep reading that book. I, it's just like Master and Apprentice for me. It, more than Count Dooku, uh, Jedi Lost. This one is like really turning my gears and making me read more and more. So yeah, pretty productive week for me. But uh, if there's nothing else to add, guys, I think we talked a lot. There's a lot this week, so to anyone listening, sorry that this episode is, again, pretty long, but I think we justified it with this week because there's just so much to pack. There's so much. There's so much, yeah. Um, but, yeah, this was another episode of the Star Wars Lads. I believe this is our sixth episode, so, you know, we're making some headway. Um, I saw that we got some UK fans now. We got some... Mexico fans, so shout out to you guys and, of course, the American fans that are listening in. Um, next week, Mando. So catch us for our seventh episode, which for hopefully an explosive series finale. Uh, 